This is Madaraja from Pinez, which means to think. A show about authors, creators, and influencers who share narratives about their culture and identity. Welcome to the show. For today's segment, we are talking to one of Kansas City's living musical legends, Mother Mary Moses, formerly known as Mary Moore. Mother Mary Moses swept Kansas City streets with her soulful voice for the blues, quickly becoming the talk of the town. But her talents did not stop there. Her voice traveled as far as Europe to sing with some of the most notable blues stars such as Luther Allison himself. It was during her tour of Europe, right on stage in Pompeii, in front of a crowd, that she was exposed to a sudden epiphany. An epiphany of what she was truly meant to share for the world. And an epiphany she has followed by till this very day. Mother Mary Moses, it is so good to have you. How the heck are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. I'm very pleased to be sitting with you and, and having this um, conversation. <sighs> My time as a musician, um, an amazing journey, um, in so many ways, um, and all of the various um, genres of music, blues, jazz, R&B, gospel, even rocking a little bit, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did it all through my journey of as, as an entertainer and performer in music. Um, it was really, really difficult to put me in a box because I like, I loved it all, mm -hmm. and I can do it all. And um, my my personal feeling with a, with um, in the entertainment business and in the entertainment industry um, that I could not, I would not allow myself to be marginalized or put in a box with a certain genre of music. I believe that people have hearts and, uh, and sometimes you might be in a totally jazz setting uh, with the jazz purists and um, and go in another direction, do something else that has a different vibe, a different twist on it that's not jazz. Right. Um, but my experience has been that they receive it. They didn't know how much they loved this other way of telling a story, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, music and lyrics, you know. So, and, I, and that was one thing I was known for, really, uh, in retrospect, um, that the musicians, local, um, musicians um, that I've worked with, especially, I will call his name, Everett Devan, mm -hmm. who's one of Kansas City's premier jazz um, B3 organists. Oh, and, wow. and they, you know, are really rare these days to find someone that can master the B3 like uh, Everett Devan. And I had the privilege and opportunity to work with him, um, you know, for off and on for a year and a half or two with, mm -hmm. his, with his band called Slick. And he was really, one of the, real, I would say, the only musician that I worked with that could keep up with my movement and changing of moods and setting 
the pace in the room. Um, because many times you go out there and you've got a set program. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this song, that, this. But, you know, when you get out there and you feel the audience and you know they need something else. Right. So you're moving with the motion. Yes. And so you change up, you flip the script, sort of. And, um, and a lot of musicians don't like that. It's just like, <laughs> oh, God, to get all fragmented and frazzled. And every band said, if you're going to play with Mary Moore, you just got to stay with her. You got to watch her <laughs> and just stay with her. And uh, it all turns out um, very well. And you're happy that she went the other way because we all get that experience of the um, of that moment of euphoria mm -hmm. with the song and the melody and all that kind of thing. The audience and the musicians, it's just a collective um, celebration of whatever the story is mm -hmm. in the song, the lyric. And I really acted them out. You know, the lyrics, the story became me. I got really into the story itself. And you could feel and see whatever was saying were saying whatever the lyrics were saying, whether they were happy and deep or growling or celebratory, whatever. I that's really kind of how I did and still like to do, you know. And when you were touring Europe and you were in Pompeii in front of that large crowd, mm -hmm. what was that epiphany that you had? What is it that spoke to you? <sighs> well, when I first walked up into the those big um, window, the big door, you know, that opening, mm -hmm. and you look down and there is the bleachers that goes down and the ground, and across the yard, the ground, is the stage way on the other side. And um, so when I walked up in there and saw that stage, there was nobody in the amphitheater. There were no people there. Okay. I saw it, and two other people were traveling with me, two other women. And um, but when I saw the stage, and I knew I had to get on it. <laughs> so I started going down each step, and it seemed like I picked up speed. I heard the voices of the two women that were with me say, what is she doing? Where is she going? Mary, what, what is she doing? <laughs> And I started to go a little faster and faster because all I could see was the stage and I knew I had to get on it. And I leaped on the ground and ran across the ground mm -hmm. to the stage. And I had to, I didn't leap, but I, I got up on that stage. And by the time I got on top of that stage uh, and then I started to sing. Um, Lady Sings the Blues, I, I had read a book called Black Pearls and, and Billie Holiday and all of us Black Pearls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and realized that I was one of them. Absolutely. <laughs> so I started to sing Lady Sings the Blues and everything else faded into oblivion. It was just me and that song and that feeling and I was outside of my body singing. And that was the presence of people around me holding hands and celebrating me. It was my mother, my brother, my father. That was Billy Holiday was there. I was seeing many of the women of the blues that was in that circle. 
and some faces that I did not recognize, but they were there rejoicing and celebrating, moving back and forth, holding hands around me, and the focus was on me. And in that moment, um, when I did come back to myself and realized that people were on the other side and the bleachers had filed in, mm -hmm. and uh, they started to applaud. I'm coming back now for a while, and they started to say, more, more, more. They wanted me to sing more. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, they God. did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually did. Um, I sang, I started, I started to sing Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. I sang an acapella. Oh, wow. And, uh, well, it was all acapella. Mm -hmm. um, right, there's no one else on stage helping you out. No, no microphone. No mic, no nothing. The design of amphitheaters is for the voice to echo throughout echo out mm -hmm. throughout and outside mm -hmm. throughout the space wow and my voice echoed that people heard me and interesting that John Mayall who's the godfather of British blues his band was on the ultimate, ultimate rhythm and blues cruise ship which I was on traveling, going to Europe, mm -hmm. and John Mayo was one of the was one of the featured artists. He's he's the god <laughs> of blues. He he heard the blues in Mississippi, down in the Delta. He hung out with the culture, the people, the juke joints, and went back to Europe and started a band. And the Beatles and everyone else um, is directly connected with John Mayo. He's oh, wow. highly respected and regarded as embodying and embracing the blues in America. And, you know, makes me very proud um, that he acknowledged the culture out of which the blues comes. Yeah. Down in, he spent time down in the Mississippi del Delta, literally in the juke joints with the black people uh, and, um, and really, um, got received uh, all that it represented mm -hmm. because the blues is um, our, our our primal scream. That's what it is. It's out of pain. It is out of struggle, survival. Uh, and one of the things that I came to learn um, for myself about our people who have struggled so much um, in its, with racism and the whole story of the transatlantic slave trade and the strength of, uh, of our people, of, of survivors. And what I've come to know now and believe that you can, the blues says you can break my body, but you cannot break my spirit. And so embracing myself, the blues, um, as the living blues. Mm -hmm. So when you see me, you're looking at me uh, in the, coming to the grassroots, that, that's living blues. Yeah. You're right on the inside of it, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the story. So you were on that stage and you, it striked something in you though, because when you came back, you- Yeah, it did. You were, mm -hmm. Yeah, on that stage, that's when my spirit stood up. Mm -hmm. Something inside of me stood up. 
And I was no longer, um, I no longer walked bowed down when my spirit was bowed down apologetically mm -hmm. for being Beautiful. black. You know, my spirit stood up and I saw myself as equal with anyone who walks the earth. Whether you're rich, poor, whatever your economic status is, whatever, whoever you are, you know, as a human being, strip away all of that stuff. We're equal. I am your equal. Absolutely. So that's really what happened, and that began this, this journey to where I am now because that thing started to call me. Yeah, because I know after Europe, you became more involved in community outreach yeah. and activism with various civic organizations. Yes, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, your life today consists of giving back and spreading your knowledge and moral values with, with that flair of, like, that sense of heart and soul. Yeah. So, for example, you came out with, um, with uh, Lest We Forget. Yeah, after I returned from Europe and when I had this awakening, in Europe mm -hmm. about my story, my history. I knew nothing about the Middle Passage. I had never heard of the Middle Passage before. I had never heard of the transatlantic slave trade in any high school. All of the history that I had studied uh, that was taught in um, elementary, junior high, or high school about history, about American history, it wasn't in the books. And I didn't know I was totally ignorant right. of my story. and realizing that I wasn't the only one that's not uh, connected and know my our story of the transatlantic slave trade and the Middle Passage and all of the stories around that. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned that um, after when I came back uh, to America from France with this thing sitting in me, um, I actually went underground. Normally, when you go on a European tour, um, you can come back to any city and say, and you capitalize on that, you know, back fresh from their European mm -hmm. tour, and you can get, you know, that's gigs, and right. that's interest in that kind of thing. Oh, Europe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she just came back from Europe, and, uh, you know, so let's go and see her, you yeah. know. Something must be special about her. Sure. Here. And so, yeah, I... Um, but I went underground, and I didn't, but I felt that I, there was something else for me to do I wanted to do, and I started, I started journaling, actually, before I left Kansas City to go to Europe, and I continued to journal, and so this whole process had begun before I left. You know, based on some situations in my personal life and what have you, I was journeying and trying to find, trying to deal with some pain, and trying mm -hmm. to deal with things. Um, you know, as a mother, as a wife, as a person in America, all of that. Right. And, and um, so in that journaling, um, I knew that I had to tell my I, I had to tell my story, lest we forget was conceived out of that desire. Um, and I wrote that song and um, wrote my own play and start in it. Mm -hmm. And it was entitled "Lest We Forget." Lest we forget is the title song uh -huh. for the play. Um, it was entitled, Lest We Forget, A Journey from Oppression to Triumph. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so it was really the story of that little girl, mm -hmm. um, the healing, trying to, for her to try to understand her life and her story and all that she dealt with in the Deep South, the terror, the hatred, the lynchings, the mm -hmm. fear, 
all of that. And um, the characters on the stage were my mother and my father. On one, you know, on one side, my mother on the other. And the other character in the storyline was the slave master himself. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was the first time I, <laughs> I had never written a play. I was a total novice. <laughs> um, but I, I, I choose to believe that the audience got the story. Yeah. I think they, they, they did get it. And um, so it was a story of identity in place. Yeah, yeah, finally. It took me that long. My God, that was the beginning. <laughs> I had no idea yeah. where it would take me from there. Um, and I never released that particular song. I did record it, and by some coincidence, I met a gentleman by the name of Wayne James, who was the visionary um, who created, started the Middle Passage Monument Project in Washington, D.C. I think he came out of Howard University, come from St. Croix, and um, he's a historian, and um, he started the Middle Passage Monument Project. Your memory does not fail you. I don't know how you remember, you know, college years and their age and everything. That's just crazy to me. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I can't even remember all yeah, that. Well, that know, specific. I, maybe it's a gift. I don't know. But I remember details, and I can go wow. back to little details to my very early childhood. And it really is not the most uh, comfortable place all the time mm -hmm. with my siblings. Oh, yeah. With me recalling things. They said, no, I wasn't. It didn't happen like that, you know. <laughs> and it's things that they don't want to feel or mm -hmm. think about or talk about. But I remember... My very first memory was when I was 10 months old. What? Yes. Whoa, I find that Sitting hard to on the bare naked ground with wearing nothing but a diaper. Wow. With my mother, facing my mother who was at the back of the house, mm -hmm. with two number three galvanized tubs, scrubbing some clothes on the wow. scrub board and singing. You just have that vision. I got it. It wow. never left me. That's amazing. It's vivid. And um, where I crawled, uh, as she was singing, and the wash pots over here with fire all around, and she was dipping clothes by there and taking them across <laughs> the way and putting them in the tub and scrubbing them and mm -hmm. putting them in the next one and rinsing, and, and they get to the line. Yeah. Um, but I remember turning and crawling on top of an old rusty lid. And how has your background affected and influenced your work? Um, I think in a good way, um, mm -hmm. with my memory and understanding of the story, of my story, um, and that it's not just my story, it's our story. This story of mine is, is, is the story of black people. And so I feel very strongly with this whole initiative and everything that I'm doing now and this body of work that I'm bringing toward, out to the world. Um, under, under Less We Forget, um, A New Way Forward. It's, it's really a movement. It's a movement for positive, positive change. Mm -hmm. and, um, and yet, it's so not about me. I just happen to be the conduit for which it comes through as a storyteller now. Mm -hmm. And it's my... It's my story, 
All that I've written is weaved into my works and what have you. Um, but it's our story. Um, the story of African Americans in America who come from the Deep South and they experience all of the the things that have been passed on from our from past generations. And uh, lest we forget, is I want to use that song as a platform um, to carry forward this message of remembering, remembering, mm -hmm. because we forgot, we keep forgetting. And I believe that that is directly the primary, the reason why we are where we are now as a, as a race, as a community, mm -hmm. as a country, mm -hmm. as an African-American community. Back, you know, where, we, where we, they were trying to turn the script back to where we were of terror and that a, a black life doesn't matter. It didn't then. My father yeah. witnessed nine lynchings in his lifetime. That's awful. And there are many other stories untold stories that the world would never know about out of the deep south <clears throat> that I as a little girl, young girl, was watching um, the fear on the faces of my mother and my father and adults around me mm -hmm. and trying to understand it. And so um, we um, now are you know, headed in the in that direction again of oppression and all of the terrifying things that happen with black people, and I believe that um, I've been called to inspire others and to remind us to not forget. We got such short memories. My generation did not tell your this generation. We didn't tell them our story. Um, they were not alive when Dr. King was assassinated and what it was like um, at that time when we felt that we were there, almost there, and the killings mm -hmm. and the psychological blow on a culture, on a people. I believe, and I say that with great conviction, that when they assassinated Dr. King. They assassinated us all. We were all assassinated. Now, I have to point out one part, and that's when you said um, reminding us. Mm -hmm. So you're not saying that you're just reminding others, it's also a reminder to yourself. It's a reminder so to myself, yes, absolutely. And I think that's something that that's very powerful because Thank you. yes. you're not speaking as someone who is Superior to others. Absolutely not. It's some. It's something that you believe that we should all remember collectively all as collective, one. Yes, yeah. totally collectively, that we remember. Um, that's why I say that it's so not about me. Right. Um, and um, I feel that as a culture, as a people, collectively, all of this country, not just black people, we all Americans here, and we all need to remember. Um, what it was like when it wasn't so nice, when it wasn't good, yeah. uh, because, you know, um, it affects us all. It affects everyone in this country, I believe. When there's injustice anywhere, you know, that the uh, effects of it, 
the non-forward movement of it uh, and all of the uh, All of the effects of, of how it affects the people, uh, I believe it affects everyone in in, in some way or another. You Absolutely. Know? When you're looking, when you're keeping, when you're silent and not doing anything, mm -hmm. when you're looking at it and not calling, you know, what you see, or speaking about it, okay. and not taking some kind of active role in making it better, is um, counterproductive for all of us. Uh, the division, I believe that the power of one, of being on one accord mm -hmm. uh, with certain um, value systems right. of humanity serves all of us. Sure. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I really couldn't. Um, so what should people expect from, you know, the Mother Mary Moses? What would you hope that people truly take away from your work and your efforts? Mm -hmm. um, I hope that um, that they are inspired. Um, that they are inspired into action. Inspired enough to do something. Right. Uh, inspired enough to take a look at your own story and understand um, your own history, um, the stories we're not telling our children. You know, mm -hmm. each individual, um, as I share my story about my father or my aunt or grandmother or whatever, you know, that it would reflect back on, they, they would start to reflect back on their own lineage and, uh, and the stories that are inside of their own family you know, uh, with their grandmothers and grandfathers. I hope that it inspires them to um, uh, to go back and um, with the intention of sitting at the table or just going and being in the presence of, of the older ones that are still living. Mm -hmm. Because we're leaving fast. You know, our generation's leaving. And so I feel, I feel a sense of urgency about this thing. Yeah. That start the conversation right now. Ask your grandmother what was it like? What was her life like in, mm -hmm. the, in the 50s or 60s or however old they may be? And the family stories uh, that you can pass along about, you know, you might have heard the names of Uncle Johnny or Aunt Clara May. Tell the stories. That's how we keep their memories alive is by telling the stories. Sure. And so um, Absolutely. it is very important to keep the memory of our ancestors alive and all of those stories. Mm -hmm. um, that's how we keep them alive, by mentioning them and talking about them and telling little grandchildren. You know, I, I believe it's very important to put um, images and pictures of the great, of, of our history on the walls. You just have one big wall. I got a wall of fame in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, little kids and grandkids, three or four years old, come in and say, who is that? That's your grandfather. And tell them a story about yeah. that. If you don't have them on the wall, uh, visible, then they don't know. And it, you, they don't have the opportunity to learn the stories. You can, so keep them before you. Keep them before you to remind you of where you come from, mm -hmm. how you got here, mm -hmm. and a memory. So And never forget. So lest we get 
too comfortable. Right. And we've gotten too comfortable, mm -hmm. lest we forget. And we wind up repeating history mm -hmm. again. So we've talked about lest we forget. Mm -hmm. Now let's yeah. talk about Meet Me at the Table. Yeah. So Meet Me at the Table was conducted in 2007 mm -hmm. and, you know, it was aimed to lead charge and rescue America's urban youth. Yeah. Um, currently, you're releasing the second part called Back to the Table, which is, yeah, which I know is something you're very excited about. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> what, can, what can you tell us about it? Well, let know? me tell you all that. Yes. You know, Back <laughs> to the Table is the umbrella. Uh-huh. Is the umbrella over which all of the table stuff, meet me at the table, back to the table, the table stuff, whatever you say about the table, it's back to the table is an initiative and um, to restore family mm -hmm. um, that I hope to grow and uh, to spread across communities in this, um, in this country um, of inspiring parents and families to come back to the table again, to sit at the table and dine with each other. Just simple as that, come back to the table. All of the conversations and all of the interactions and stories and, and what have you inside of a family happens at the table. It is so powerful. I really do believe that it is the synergy that holds the family together. That while there is division, they are disconnected. Parents don't know what's going on with their children. They're going to school and out in the community or what have you. And when you sit at the table, which is what inspired the whole back to the table initiative when I look back on my life. Mm -hmm. And my oldest son, Michael, was um, was uh, admitted into Baker University. Oh, wow. Um, the oldest of my children uh, got, you know, a scholarship, basketball scholarship, but he was really smart. And the second year, he said, I want to focus on academics. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and so, but uh, when he first entered into Baker University, um, the dean, uh, I spoke with him on the phone. I can't remember what the occasion was, but he said to me, your son, Michael, and mm -hmm. he spoke very highly of him, mm -hmm. and um, said, however many students, 1,175, he said, if 1,174 were of the character of your son. Oh, wow. You know, and he said, I was talking to Michael and I asked him, what did he most uh, miss most about being away from home? Mm -hmm. And he said, what he missed most were the sessions at the table. Oh. I was in show business, I was wearing two hats, I was mm -hmm. coming home, I was, listen, Mary Moore did not live in my house. Mm -hmm. Mother lived in the house. <laughs> with five kids mm -hmm. and responsibilities and do your do your homework yeah. and clean up your room and wash the dishes and sweep the floor and take the trash out mm -hmm. kind of household that we I, you know and um, and when the, the dean said that to me I thought to myself if I had not done well, what we would do about every three or four months when things get all out of order and the house is a mess my room's a mess the, you know cl your stuff is just disheveled in the house right. with seven people living in there. <laughs> yeah. It's a packed house. Five kids, yeah, packed. <laughs> yeah. And things would be out of order and it would always start, the conversation would always start at the dinner table. You come home with a D plus, with a C, a D, mm -hmm. your room is a mess, 
And, you know, uh, I would start it, oh, Michael, or whoever it was I was starting on. So, so what's going on? Why, why is your room a mess? Why did you get a D? You're not doing your homework and just, and they would go into defense, you know, uh, you know, uh, mode of denial and snotting and crying and, and trying to avoid the real uh, subject matter. Mm -hmm. But eventually we would get to the core of the problem. Eventually we get to, uh, okay, mom, yeah, you're right. This is what's really happened. This is what's going on. And we would forget to the core. And it would pass on to the next. He said, you, yeah, you're right, mom, but Kenneth. <laughs> and Kenneth would do, he would pass on to Carla and then Sarah, and they would all go through the whole snotting and denying and crying and all that. And But eventually we'd get to the core of what was happening. And each time we did this over the years, the sun would be coming over the horizon every time. We never left the table. The sun is five to six o'clock in the morning. Here comes the sun, and we've been up all night. But by this time, the air is light, and everybody's right. throwing biscuits at each other or <laughs> joking and laughing, and it's, it's light and lifted. And, um, so you didn't leave that table No, until we did there not leave solution. it until it was resolved, until mm -hmm. we got everything resolved. And we get up and say, okay, go downstairs, start gather clothes, start the dishwasher, the dishwasher go and start the washing machine, let's clean up the house, and everybody would just go scurry and get everything back in order, and we'd be good until the next time, you know, that happened like every four or five months. And when I realized that, I said, oh my God, what if I hadn't done that? Right. Maybe I would have lost them because that was during the time when crack and gangs were just rising and had taken over the urban core, and we were living in the urban core, mm -hmm. you know, and many of their friends, you know, I said, if we hadn't done that, I, would we, I probably would have lost them to the streets, you know, if we had, if I hadn't stayed connected to them. And that's where I started to write the poem. And it runs about 20 minutes long, about, and so many things happened around the table, and it took me back to my childhood at the table, we were mandatory, and all of the manners, you know, would you pass the biscuits, please? And you didn't reach across anybody, and my father sitting at the head, you know, and we all looking at just, just that rigid, uh, <laughs> with this ominous man, uh -huh. with, the, with the, you know, so. Um, and then I started to look into, and you know, I did research about, because families aren't sitting at the table with their children anymore in this modern day world, mm -hmm. and and some of the things that I stumbled upon in looking at and studying that statistics is that parents who commit to four to five nights a week if, uh, of dining, sitting present at the table with their children, that th those children are 75 to 80 percent less likely to get involved in gangs and drugs. Mm -hmm. They are 75 percent more likely to graduate from college and get uh, graduate from high uh, graduate from high school and get a college degree. Mm -hmm. And it's really not the quantity of time that is so important, but the quality of time of being right. fully present with your cell phones off and fully present with your child and mm -hmm. say, how are you feeling? What's going on in your life? And they know that you care. It's like a soft place to fall. And they can open up to you and really share what's actually going on in their lives. and. Um, and feel safe and confident uh, and trust is developed in that. You know, um, my God, you really want to have the trust of your 13-year-old daughter who's coming into LA. Oh, sure. That she would share with you all her little secrets, mm -hmm. you know? And the, and the males as well. So I feel that the table, um, I really want to inspire people to go back to the table. 
reprioritize your time. Make time. Mm -hmm. It uh, is that important. And the future of your children, your family, rests on how much time, quality time you spend with your children in the heart space are fully present and listening with care with care and, and knowing what's going on in their lives and helping them to understand life and this world that they're living in right now it's totally important so back to the table um, initiative and um, meet me at the table is mother moses mm -hmm. is a group of poems and a script that mm -hmm. was written out of that poem um, with her, she's an older woman. She's funny. She's uh, <laughs> she's a grandmother that everybody wants to have, I okay. believe. Um, and uh, yeah, so meet me at the table, um, which will be a book in the form of a book mm -hmm. uh, with other poems. It's a meet me at the table. A book of poetry and reflections are actually essays. Um, short essays and poems um, that I've written out of my own healing experiences and what have you. Sure. Um, and along with that now, I, with the CD, I have a CD that is Mother Moses Speaks, the master's piece, and it's around that same, you know, some of the poems that are in on the CD mm -hmm. are in the book. So it's kind of a couple, it's a, it's a, as a package, okay, you get to hear some of the poems that I've written um, that are in the book. On the page, you'll hear the voice of Mother Moses reciting them with jazz and behind it that brings it to life. <laughs> I am so excited that it exhilarated about this um, because the one thing that I've learned in this life, in these 73 years, is that you cannot bark and guilt people into changing. Repeat that, please. Say it one more time. <laughs> you cannot bark and guilt people into changing. Absolutely. The barking. Mm -hmm. We're already guilty. They shut down the walls, start to go up around their heads and their ears and their hearing fades into the distance and all the words that you're barking and guilting, they just go, they fall flat on the floor. They don't go into the heart. But when, um, you, um, when you want to inspire people, I believe the key is inspiring them. Because when a person gets inspired, um, they're going to do something. Plant the seed and they get inspired and that light comes on and they get a vision of a better life of something in another direction. And you get up and start in that direction. One step at a time, let me tell you, change is hard work. Mm -hmm. This journey that I have been on for the last 20-some years to this place now, where I have turned the page, I have turned the page. Um, was paint, you know, listen, change is hard work. And I walked through every painful step of the healing process. It was painful and, um, my gosh, how, yeah. And, um, and you're going to fall down, you're going to hit walls, you're going to stumble when you're trying to go in another direction. You're going to fall, but when you're inspired, you're going to get back up and go back at it again. There's no way you're going back there when you get inspired. So my target market my, is the heart. Everybody has one. 
So I go for the heart, and that's where change begins in the heart, you know, mm -hmm. when you start to reflect and all the things start twirling, and you start dreaming and thinking about your life and where you are and what you, you we want better, you want a better life, and how am I going to get there? Um, and you start going in that direction when you're inspired. Can we please stop, stop the barking? <laughs> oh, my God. Let's stop it right here, right now. <laughs> you and I. <laughs> Well, Mother Mary Moses, it is always a pleasure to hear from you. Um, your soul just irradiates through your words. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh -huh. And please be sure to check out Mother Moses' latest show, Back to the Table, for a chance to be enlightened. You will be, be looking out <laughs> on YouTube and um, Facebook and all of those. Oh, yeah. You're hit. Marketing of Mother Moses, which mm -hmm. she's just rolling out to the world. So keep your eyes out. Okay. <laughs> well, you guys heard it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>